welcome to Hoof on the Till, our weekly look at all things racing. My name's Helen Thomas and the mighty Max Presnell is here riding shotgun as always. Max, welcome to you and, I mean, seriously, can you believe it's been four years since we filed our last show for ABC News Radio? Yes. Well, Helen, when you get to my vintage, um, the years, they flow very quickly and uh, I will say this, it's like yesterday, but wasn't it the year that Vow and Declare, ridden by Craig Williams, won the Melbourne Cup? Craig Williams had just won the Melbourne Cup on Vow and Declare when he was our first guest on our final hoof for the ABC. And I'm delighted that he's with us again today as our first guest on the now independent hoof on the till. Craig, thanks so much for your time. Helen, Max, it's my, my pleasure and a privilege to be your uh, first guest. Now, Craig, the interesting thing in terms of, well, I don't know if it's serendipity, but you were riding a four-year-old stayer the last time we talked to you, and on Saturday you're about to ride, well, a horse that's nearly four-year-old sprinter who could be, in fact, one of the best sprinters in the world, and that's Giga Kick. I mean, how amazing to have forged another partnership with such an exciting young horse. Alan, really lucky, uh, grateful for the opportunity, and no no top horse or champion horse is ever given, and they're developed, and I'm just so lucky to be um, that that um, been given the opportunity to ride a horse called Giga Kick, who's trained by a young trainer down at Moynton Peninsula in Victoria called Clayton Douglas, who's done a remarkable job by preparing this horse, educating him, and and he's really exciting for what he, what he's already done and let alone what he can become. It's an interesting story too, isn't it, Craig? Because he, he had a really rough start to life. He, I mean, he nearly died as a young, a very young horse from a very severe bout of colic, got through that and... And when you look at his career and the fact also that we say he's a four-year-old, officially, of course, he is, but his his natural birthday, his real birthday, isn't until next month, the 19th of October. No, that's right. So he actually um, won the Everest, um, so Australia's richest race and uh, in the Everest, and he beat those horses on his birthday at two years of age. So when he went through the autumn earlier this year, he was a three-year-old when he won his two Group 1 races, beating the older horses. And it's been done before, but just the way that this horse has done it and then the way that he's developed and come on, he's just such an exciting horse. Craig, are following dates important? Yeah, it makes because of, of how it works uh, internationally. Uh, but, uh, Australia, Australia's, or Southern, South South Asia uh, is the 1st of August is, is when we make it the birth date for horses and in Europe it's the first of January or the northern hemisphere. So it, it's it's their way of trying to to balance up the seasons and horses for their ages so they can compete hopefully on a level playing field. For me as a rider, I don't really know that much about it. Just that you can you, you can tell physicality is the horse's makeup but mentally is another part of it. But I guess the the champions are the champions and like everyone's story, they are quite unique. And and um, Clayton Douglas, the horse's trainer, he was started out. He was too heavy. He wanted he wanted to be a jockey. Too heavy. Become a picket rider. Then he become a jumping jockey. <laughs> then he become a really successful flat jockey. And now he's turned his hand at such a young age. He's twenty eight years of age, and now he's a horse trainer. How would you describe the the giga kick from when he was last in training to the giga kick now? He's he's actually physically he's. He's bigger, stronger, but mentally he's he's really switched on. He was when he was in the autumn, so earlier this year, in the, in his second preparation. When you put things into context, he he was spending a lot of energy in the pre post uh, race warmer, 
And he's still, his performances were amazing anyway. But he just spent a lot, just showed his immaturity mentally. And, I, I, and, and physically, he still looked strong against those horses anyway. But now when you compare him now after having winning in Brit, after winning the all age in Sydney, then going three weeks later to Brisbane winning the BTC sprint, then in spelling and coming back now and sitting on, you just see this massive horse, which just has got bigger. And then when you work him and I worked him first time, worked him alone on his own. And he went around like a, I, I would have put my children on him. He's that quiet, he just hacked around for the, for arguably the world's fastest sprinter in the world. He's, uh, he's quite, uh, he's got such a great attitude now. And if he brings that to the races then look out for his opposition, because they're going to, they're going to really struggle to beat a horse like him when he's all of a sudden got the smarts to go with it as well. What he's done in in already's two preparations and what he's developing to now, then I don't know, the sky's the limits for him, I guess. I guess if you're talking international sporting terms, well, you'd swear you, you know, for, for a horse, you're right, you know, I'm riding LeBron James, basically. A change of pace, mate, to a, a different battlefield. Uh, one I know that may not be near, but it's dear to you, uh, Ukraine. Yeah, that's um, unfortunately due to the Russian Federation's aggression on their neighbour, which is Ukraine, the the devastation, the destruction, the loss of the ultimate sacrifice, which is life for people protecting what we are so lucky to have every day, um, you know, due to our Anzacs, due to our servicemen and women, past, present and, and uh, emerging, then you realise about having sovereign territory, international norms and democracy where whether or not you agree with people, Max and Helen, then we, we have a right to voice those opinions and we have a choice in our life. If the Ukrainian people don't win their fight, their struggle, well, they don't exist or they don't have a choice. So it's really sad. We do have skin in the game because um, my wife is Ukrainian. So we have family and, and friends over there. So it's, it's, more, it's very dear to us, but we've been completely overwhelmed um, that we've put together. Um, so there's Lace and myself and Tim Redburn, who resides in the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. And our group has de- personally delivered six times into Ukraine since the last 16 months of the, the full-scale Russian invasion. And to, we've now raised over $2.2 million Australian in, in funds and products. And these are things that actually save lives. So it's quite remarkable for me and, and our family that um, our bubble's been burst, what we thought was normal. Um, we realise that's not reality for everyone in the world. And when you're doing what we believe is the right thing, contributing to saving someone's life, some people who didn't, um, not, they didn't uh, ask for this, they're only defending what most countries and people are lucky to have as a norm, then uh, we feel really good about it. But we're, we're, we're so lucky that so many people in Australia give a damn about the, um, about Lacey and I supporting the people of Ukraine and, and the people in Ukraine situation. And that's how we've been able to amass such an amount of money and, uh, and supplies to, to, uh, to save their lives and to make their lives better. Craig, on that note, I think we'll leave it. And uh, that's extraordinary work. And we can only wish you extraordinary good luck on Saturday with your rising star in Giga Kick. And thank you again for being our first guest on our first show back as an independent hoof on the till. Well, Craig was talking about international matters there, but but in a more national focus and and particularly on racing, 
Let's turn our attention now to the issues that are in the main frame of things and introduce our next guest, Max, and that's, of course, Shelley Hancocks, one of our stalwarts, not just within this show but also within Australian racing. She was originally a racing journalist and, of course, now she's best known as one of the leading thoroughbred syndicators. Shelley Hancocks, good to have you back on The Independent Hoof on the Till. Well, Helen, it's wonderful to be back on The Independent Hoof on the Till and I believe my old sparring partner's with us too. Yes, and I'm no sweeter than I was. Oh, Max, I did, I, I did think you would thaw with age and you haven't. I'm guessing, knowing the two of you, that uh, we'll be talking about a, a lot of issues over the next few weeks as we sort of head into spring 23. And I'm thinking, Shelley, in fact, I have a sense that you want to talk about race programming and rise money. Well, they are two of the most important things in racing, but I think racing in this country is going to head in a big downward spiral if the states won't get their heads together, the main states in particular, and start working uh, as a team to help racing because, as you and Max are obviously well aware, wagering is down. I don't think ownership will be increasing in this current economic climate, and yet we've got the the major racing states clashing heads over what I would... They're not trivial things, but they're, they're, they're not doing racing any good because they're not... Instead of promoting racing, they're fighting about racing. Shelley, uh, I, I doubt in my time that we'll see much change. Of course, you being a spring chicken, of course, it, 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 you could well come across it. But look, New South Wales racing in so many ways is booming like never before. I can't say I'm particularly happy about a few of the, the points that have gone on. I can't say I'm particularly happy that it's not Australian racing overall. But nevertheless, the bottom line is now under Peter the Great, New South Wales racing is doing very well. And I don't think you can say the same for Victoria. And if you think that uh, our big daddy is going to bow down to Victoria and be a team player, no, look, it's not in his character. Max, one can, sitting on this side of the fence in Victoria, you can sense that. But by the same token, he doesn't have to join the I Love Victoria bandwagon, but these states must work together in future or there is very little future for racing uh you know we've now lost several generations of people um and we and we have young people i would say the sub 35s are not particularly interested in racing so i think all states have to get get together than to fight each other the point shelley is that, that you say that people aren't interested in racing i think that in many ways uh, young people are, but they only want to punt. They're on their telephones. What disturbs me more than anything else is that we don't have young race goers. I've approached young people in the last couple of months. Would they like to go to the races? Once upon a time, you know, would have charged at the offer. Now, look, no, I'd rather have a bet at home. It, look, it's it's too easy at home. Now, there are so many reasons why that is the case. A, the expense of going to the races you know, the prices they charge for going to the races. But I think the action, I was nearly going to say product there, I won't refer to racing as a product, but the action is as good as ever. And, and I'm just disappointed that so many young people are missing out on that live thing. 
on seeing these great horses, these great jockeys, this great sport, you know, and 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 to get the the pleasure out of it that I've had for for over sixty years. And really, you have a look at the racing this weekend. It's got a lot to offer. You look at our jockeys; they compare very favourably with the uh, the greats of other sports. And another thing, Shelley, look look at the look at the, the the females in racing today. You've got jockeys that ride as well, if not better, than the men. Now, all the boom has been lately about soccer and and ladies playing football and all of this. But look here, here the females are like going toe to toe, stride for stride with the men and beating them. Now, surely this is something that people should go and watch and experience and say, just how good are they? Big days, get big crowds. Uh, you'll go to country race meetings. You'll get the spirit of racing there. I was at a place called Menduran last Saturday and the spirit of racing shone brightly, but it's not the average Saturday meeting, Shelley, in Sydney. It could cut loose with a Gatling gun and you wouldn't hit anybody. Well, I think one of the things that stops, there are several things that stop the younger generations from going to the races and, and cost certainly comes into it. I see no reason why on a normal day I would have thought admittance to the races ought to be free. Um, you know, because if people get there, they, they'll, they'll bet, they'll eat, they'll drink. But the problem is there is not enough action nor on a normal race day for these that's younger right. generations, Max. That, I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest problems that has to be addressed is how do you, how do you get them there and keep them, keep them there and keep them entertained and, and engaged? Steve, we got our action, or I got my action, and you may, may have thought similarly. You'd go to the races and it was the betting ring. It was the bookmakers. And we had some wonderful entertainers there. You chased a price. This was part of the action, the race course action, part of the stimulation, beating the odds, being there. Then, of course, you had the, the enclosure, you looked at the horses. This was a, a major point. After you, you got your prices, you'd look at the horses. Now, I can't make young people do that. And, and, and look, after a race, when the horses come back after, after the battle and the jockeys, the horses, and the whole colour of it, Again, it, it might be a generation thing, but I get a, a thrill out of that. Like I get a thrill out of out of seeing the Swans kick a goal. <laughs> and look, I'd rather be there than watching it on television. Again, it may be an age thing. It may be an age thing, but it's also a marketing thing, and and it hasn't been addressed from a, from a marketing point of view. And that that's got to that's got to start. And I think. You know, if if states did put their heads together, they may be able to provide a few more ideas and incentives that they're they're just not doing at the moment. They're just waiting for the old older people to come along. And as you say, the younger ones are doing it all on their phones, or they said it's too easy to sit at home on the couch. For one of the reasons I think they sit at home is because there's not enough actual action on a, on a normal race day. Fortunately, the the major race in Australia today is the McEwen Stakes at Mooney Valley. Now, Ian McEwen was one of the, the major, I'd say, promoters of the industry, New Zealander too, I do concede, of Australian racing, because him and, and Bill Stutt, and you'll correct me because this is your territory, they really turned the Cox Plate into something special. I'm old enough to know when the Cox Plate it wasn't even the major race on the Mooney Valley program that day, the Mooney Valley Cup was. But then they, they got this Cox Plate, this Wait for Age race, 
And really, they turned it into, into one of the great spectacles of sport around the valley, which, yeah, probably more of a dog track. But if you saw the, the great Cox plates, uh, you know, it was something special. And you had to be there. You had to be there to see it, to, to absorb the, the, the atmosphere, to smell it. <laughs> you know, I still get a buzz thinking about Maccabi Diva coming about eight or ten wide with about seven horses inside him cutting loose in the turn, you know, you see the, the bone crusher, you, Kingston Town, and of course, Winks. Now, they were wonderful spectacles, and there are great spectacles in other races too, across the country, even at Mendoran. Kieran was one of the great innovators, and probably one of the first um, to start thinking about night racing long before it happened, which of course has been a boon for Mooney Valley. Um, because it, it lends itself to, to night racing because of the the, the amphitheatre sort of place it is. And night racing, again, is something that possibly hasn't been as well promoted as it should be and, of course, has never been embraced as strongly in New South Wales, which it, it should have been. And Queensland, are, of course, are going to go run with night racing once they get their new Gold Coast track up. And I think it'll be an ama a fabulous success there. We're talking about racing now. We're talking about Saturday racing. We're talking about racing during the week. We're talking about, in New South Wales, country racing like it's never been before. Uh, race meetings every day, strong fields. Uh, have we got enough racing to go around and enough quality racing to go around to say that all right you, you put it into night racing what happens to saturday racing and like it or dislike it saturday racing is the biggest turnover day of the week it's got to be good saturday and just where do you get where do you get the horses that you're talking about to contest friday and saturday well, you probably haven't got that sort of horse population, but you say Saturday's the biggest turnover um, day for betting, Max, but Friday evenings and even Thursday evenings in Victoria um, have forged ahead with turnover, which is why in this state we've embraced so many evening meetings during the so-called warmer months. Max, Damien Oliver, champion jockey Damien Oliver, was talking about these some of these issues, particularly night racing and the impact that it has within the industry. He also was discussing the fact that whip-free racing is a big topic of discussion in Victoria particularly, and he suggests that it will never happen. Jockeys won't allow it to happen. Neither they should. Neither they should. It's, it's a safety issue. And I think uh, uh, correctly uh, orchestrated. I, I Look, I do think that uh, New South Wales... Uh, handle the whip situation better than Victoria. Uh, really, we we don't seem to have as much excessive whip use as they do in Victoria. We've, uh, I think it's governed pretty well. I would like to see when, be it in Victoria or New South Wales, when there is a savage whip breach. And there's look, there hasn't been much. I, I think it's come down. I think jockeys have have joined, you know, the the goodwill of of restricting the the whip. But when they they go over the limit, when they get an unfair advantage. I think they should be relegated. I, I don't think a, a jockey winning by a short half head and and uh, going in excess of the, the the limited numbers of use of the whip. I don't think he should keep the race. And I, I think that would tidy it up even further. But to put jockeys in a race on a horse without a whip, no, I think that's too dangerous. But Shelley, what do you think? 
Again, Max, I think all these things should be standardised throughout Australia, and 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 I wouldn't be calling it a whip either. I'd refer to it as a crop, as, as in the old days of a riding crop, which is what it was, um, because every time you use the term whip and have whip-related offences, uh, you offend uh, so many of our lovely people on the woke side of the fence who don't want that. But no, I, 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 would, I, wouldn't ban the, I wouldn't ban the riding crop, Max. I'd certainly keep it there. But I, but I would want to standardise rules across Australia. And yes, if some horse does uh, cop a flogging uh, with excess strokes of the riding crop, then yes, relegation would very quickly uh, make the riders wake up and count properly. We can no doubt talk about this more, Max, over the next uh, 10 to 12 weeks of spring 2023. But before we go today, let's look at the 132 Melbourne Cup nominations with just 15 internationals, Shelley. Are we on a, are we on a different slope here, a different trend? Um, we are on a slightly different trend because, uh, given the stringency of the... Uh, racing Victoria protocols now, but I, of the ones that are entered, I, I wouldn't be very, I wouldn't be surprised if if the winner is among them. Um, but I think people are just going to be much more careful about the horses. I think if if a horse has even had a smell of a problem, it won't even be entered. Um, and some of those that are entered may not pass the first uh, veterinary protocols in. The UK, so whether they come or not is is um, an interesting thing. But what was even more interesting, there was a huge tail of, I mean, what were there, 132 nominations? My goodness, 80 of them shouldn't be there. Well, let's look at the stables that have got the most nominations. Uh, Ma Eustace, 17, Chris Waller, 14, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott, 9. Is that ever happened before? They seem to be very large nominations from... You know, national stables. Yeah, and, and in fact, I would I would probably think that the majority of the horses they've entered are um, international recruits, whether they've been here for a couple of seasons or just a season. So that's going to muddy the waters as well. But no, I haven't. We haven't seen those large numbers from major stables like that in the past. Max, and I know you'll be thrilled to know that King Charles has got Desert Hero entered at the <laughs> moment with William Haggis. I'm not thrilled to know that any of these overseas horses are coming over here. We've got these overseas horses come here from, from Europe and from Japan. And, and, yes, look, they are better horses. They have added to the quality of the race. But the best Melbourne Cup, I think, in recent times has been very elegant, a very good mare beating incentivised. Now, it was Australasian. It was Australasian. What about all these soft-bone European horses that come over here and break down and got to be carted off the track in a horse ambulance. Do we really need them? Look, I look forward to seeing Dermot Weld bring one over here because Dermot is a wizard. But look, basically, I wouldn't care if none of them do. Oh, I'm, Max, I'm not being disrespectful for the monarchy, but if King Charles's horse doesn't get here, well, so be it. I think there are things I don't like about the Melbourne Cup these days, but I do think if, if the internationals hadn't started coming, would be, it's a glorified jumpers flat. So, you know, well, that's as it was, Shelley, great... as it was, but it was, it was our jumpers flat. It was our jumpers flat. And Shelley, just one parting word or parting sentence 
Look, is it okay if I call the, the crop a shillelagh? Yes, I think we should push to have that adopted, Max. Shelley Hancocks, thank you so much for your time on this revitalised edition of Hoof on the Till. Thanks, Helen, and uh, look forward to speaking to you and Max again soon. And Max Personal, as always, great to have you in the stable. Yes, in the stable, by voice only, but nevertheless, like you've got to make do with what you can get.